0: uh welcome to this week in Vlogging. blogging uh, this is kevin o'keefe um founder of lexbog and uh i don't know if i can feel his shoes but i'm sitting in for bob Ambrosi, the uh, regular host of uh the show um our guest uh Eric Kurwitz probably upset that Bob isn't here. Um, but anyway, the show is produced by Lexblog. Uh, we're the largest uh, legal blogging community and network in the world with 30,000 uh, publishers and provide a platform to uh, lawyers so that they can uh, do their digital publishing on the net and then have their content aggregated and curated across the Lexblog network. Um, each week, we go through, we try to reach out to a, a good blogger. We're, I'm honored to be talking with uh, Eric today. He's about as good as it gets. Um, and we'll broadcast it across you know, the various social networks, whether it's uh, uh, Twitter, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, um, you know, uh, so that anybody can have access uh, to it anytime. any um, time. I've known Eric <clears throat> since really the beginning of blogging. He's been publishing a blog on the New York personal injury law, you know, since that time, um, you know, he covers both injury and uh, medical malpractice. Um, you know, I don't want to put words in Eric's mouth, but I th- think his blog was a, a labor of love to start to start with, and he's been publishing it for 14 years. Um, so, welcome to the program, Eric. It, it's great to have you.
1: Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
0: Yeah. You know, um, how did you ever get? You know, you said, okay, I'm going to do this blog thing. I mean, you realize that's
1: had a slow week. <laughs> That's <about> right. <laughs> I, it, like I knew what I was doing, right? Uh, right? Nobody who starts blogging knows what they're doing. Right. Uh, I had a slow week. I said, "Why don't I try this blogging thing?" I had my tech guy mock something up, and I just started typing. And okay. I, I would scramble around at the beginning, looking for things that I I thought were interesting under the theory that if i found it interesting other people might find it interesting and sometimes i was right and sometimes not like any writer yeah i mean how long have you been practicing oh god uh 35 years always in new york obviously <sighs> always in new york yeah you know it, it's not a very
0: portable profession no it's not is it it's not like hey i'm I moved out to LA last year, last year. <laughs> at some point it should be, you know, at some point, you know, somebody should say, you know, I, I should be able to live someplace else and still do a good job representing people, but right now it's not. do um,
1: You grew up in New York? I grew up, I spent my whole life in New York. I grew up out on Long Island. I went to school in Albany. Uh, then after that, I went to law school in Buffalo. Uh, then I came down and lived in Manhattan. And now I'm in Westchester. I have got New York State running through my pores. Um,
0: <clears throat> I, I, I still feel it my own. I'm a, I'm a native of Queens, but didn't stay there very long. Uh, <laughs> it, ha, what made you want to be a be a lawyer? I mean, you're, you're, I mean, at some point in time, I you said I think I'm going to do this thing.
1: I followed in my father's footsteps. Okay, and it wasn't. There, there are uh, there are. I'm one of four boys and uh my father never suggested anybody become a lawyer in fact he had probably discouraged it uh even back then he was saying that they're, they're going to legislate because he did he, all he did was medical malpractice okay. litigation and i basically learned at his knee and he, he ran a team of uh, 10 12 malpractice lawyers which was a, a pretty good sized department yeah um and he said, they're going to legislate us out of business. Go do something else. My, my three brothers all listened to that. Uh, and I went, I just, I thought it was interesting. So I did it. He, he used to come home uh, at dinner and he would give us his opening statement around the dinner table. And then he would pass a pen around the table to the four of us. He said, write down on a napkin what you think the case is worth. Yet yeah, You couldn't say it out loud. You had to write it down because otherwise you might be influenced by what the kid next to you said. I'd say, Dad, I'm 10 years old. What do I know about what this is worth? And he would say, what does any juror know? Just write down what you think is fair and reasonable. Now, the concept of the mock jury was not a term that I heard as a 10-year-old. And frankly, even practicing lawyers weren't using the term mock jury. It's, It's something that's, you know, the last couple of decades has come to the forefront. Uh, But that's what we were. He would bounce it off us the same way other people might bounce a case off of some friends uh, when you go out to dinner. What do you think of this? And that's what he did. And that's what got me interested.
0: Yeah, I used to do that in bars. You know, just your average bar, you buy somebody a beer and I want to run this by you. That was uh, your
1: pickup line, huh?
0: Yeah, that that was, uh, uh, you know, I, I can only imagine falling into the fabric of real life. Because medical malpractice cases and trying cases and jurors that's the real it's a fabric of life. It's real things going on impacting lots of people with multiple moving parts. And you're sitting there as 10 years old
1: hearing this across the dinner table. I mean, like it's normal. Yeah. You're gonna get like you know like, about about a botched hysterectomy. As as a ten year as a 10-year-old, and my father is busy describing a uterus as an upside-down milk bottle. <laughs> but he's describing it the same way he has to describe it to a jury because most people will not know any of the medicine. You have to start with the basics. And and that's what I do Uh, when I go out, when we have trials. I mean, obviously we don't have any for the last year, Um, but you have to start with the basics. And when I take depositions of doctors and I ask them to explain something, I'll say, Explain it as if you're as if you're talking to a 14 year old. Yeah. Yeah. And I assume his office must have been right in right in Manhattan. Or where was it? It was. Yeah. He started in Brooklyn. <laughs> did it? <laughs> it? Started in Brooklyn and then went to Manhattan. Yeah. Yeah. So where 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 was this office located in Manhattan? Uh, it was uh, down on it, it was down on Church Street. Really? So on Broadway did... and then he went to Church Street. Yeah. No, uh, just a, couple blocks, a few blocks away from the courthouse. Yeah,
0: yeah. What a great
1: ride. 10
0: lawyers doing medical malpractice work. That is, that is a lot of force. That's, and you got to, you got to also be willing to carry that ups and downs to the expense, you know, of everything.
1: Well, when you have that kind of volume, you know, I mean, they were known, this is the the firm is called Fuchsburg and Fuchsburg and the the guy who founded the firm, Jack Fuchsburg, ultimately went up to New York's highest court, the court of appeals. Uh, And he was the head of the, of the department. The firm had maybe 30, 35 lawyers at its, at its peak, of which about a third was doing, med- were doing exclusively medical malpractice. And he ran that department, you know, and that was his, that was his domain. Uh, and everybody answered to him. Um, and, you know, he would keep his book and he would keep track of the hundreds of cases that came through. And the concept of cash flow that a, a solo practitioner now has to worry about this i was an employee get paid It didn't meant it didn't enter my mind what it meant to to, you know to pay the rent and to pay and to you know to pay the staff yeah great story and don't tell me your grandfather was a lawyer too no 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 he my, my grandfather on my father's side uh immigrated from what is now uh ukraine sits on the border of ukraine and belarus uh, and went into the Garment District. There you go. Uh, also in New York. <laughs> in very New York, the Schmanta business. <laughs> they, they, would, they would knock off dresses from higher-end you know, from, from higher, higher end people. And he, and then my father, uh, from there, went to law school. My mother worked as a teacher while he went through law school. And it, uh, I, I hate to say it's a typical immigrant story, but it's a typical immigrant story. Yeah. Uh, you know, he went to city, he went to... Uh, uh city college which was free and then he went to brooklyn law school and then he started up his own firm with the kid who was sitting next to him because it was alphabetical order so it was turkowitz and Tesla because they, they became friends sitting next to each other <laughs> and that's how it started
0: yeah that's that's great 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 did either of your folks live to see your block
1: yeah uh well uh my mom didn't uh my father did but he doesn't uh, Right, he doesn't. He, 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 he's, uh, he's ninety. He doesn't go online to to, to learn.
0: <laughs> No, but I, you know, I'm even realizing that here we you know we're doing this stuff in a totally different
1: world. You know, and uh, you, know. you know, it's a different world, but it's similar. You know, back in the day, you know, you go back to the Abe Lincoln days, and what would people do? They would go to the local tavern uh, after court and they would bounce ideas off each other. And then you have bar associations. What would people do that would bounce ideas off each other? People still do the same thing, so now they do it electronically, whether they're doing it in a listserv or they're doing it in blogs, or even sometimes on Twitter, if you can find an intelligent conversation. Uh, it, the concept of the need to communicate and to share ideas is always there. You should never right. say you know everything, you can always learn from somebody else. Yeah. I think mean, it's so
0: lost sight on lawyers today and we are we're we're having a beer because I think you know first time we may have met would have been I hosted these beer for bloggers events and it might have been pretty small the first one in New York where <laughs> Eric came and I'm all excited that Eric is there and Scott Greenfield's there you know it's like oh, yeah you know. and uh, I mean now we're going on a further side and I'm sitting there asking you questions about different things and you you said you said would you know I, I I represented some early people in a you know AOL community, <laughs> and it was David and Tom Gardner that did the Molly Fool I believe, or you did I, some work I, I I did some work. They were they in them. the next office or something? I don't remember the whole story.
1: They were down in um, in Virginia. I, I think that's probably still okay. there, and okay. they were on AOL. You can get to their get to the Motley Fool by keyword fool or keyword Elvis back in the day. <laughs> until, until AOL took Elvis away from them. And this was the Wild West. People would write things in forums, whether it was stock advice or something that was plagiarized, you know, copyrighted material. Uh, there could be harassment that's going on. It was could be anything. And so I started to give them some advice on how to deal with this stuff uh, this was before the communications uh, decency act came out before we had section 230. That was, that protects yeah. uh, people like me now, you know, somebody writes something in the comments of my blog. It was like, sorry, yeah, I, I didn't, didn't write it. But... <laughs> Don't blame me. Um, you know, people focus when they talk about section 230, they focus on the big shots, but it's the little shots that got to worry also. Uh, if somebody writes something, how am I supposed to know if they present a fact whether it's true or false? Yeah, I remember sitting next to you at dinner. We're at, we're at Virgil's Rib House
0: and uh, uh, down by off Times Square, you know. And you, you know, the fact that you would talk to these guys and I had talked to them, asking them if they would let me use their message boards for a virtual law community that I was building. It was basically going to be the equal of Motley Fool for the law. Uh, okay. And uh, those guys said, I don't know if it was Tom or David, and they said, Well, you got to understand. We build stuff to use it. We don't build it to license it because we're good people and we'll feel the obligation to keep it up. <laughs> we won't have anybody to do it. <laughs> but it really it very much was the, the wild, wild west at that point in time. And it really- going back to this point that you raised about you're still learning things, you're still communicating, you're still networking. It's the same things that went on in Lincoln's time. <laughs> There's no way that we would have sat down at that table but for Blogging, you know, with with these type of people, and uh, um, I think right before then I had gone over and met uh, I can't think of Ol- Olson's life. Olson's first name. Walter. Manhattan- yeah, and here I am sitting across the street, you know, across from that place, having a beer with Walter Olson, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, who's doing different type of work, I was with the Manhattan Institute at the time, and I'm thinking oh, this is pretty amazing he thinks I'm of some significance <laughs> and him I don't think lawyers realize that it's not trying to get up in the search engine rankings that your blog is trying to do for you and that people are going to think you're brilliant and they call the 800 number at the top it's just being out there and hanging out you know sharing things talking about things word gets around if somebody knows something and if they have a need somehow cases come in different types of ways so I don't know how you you look at Login from the standpoint of, you know, how you vet people, what it does for your profile, how you get to, well, get, you know, have relationships you wouldn't have.
1: First of all, when you, when when I'm writing stuff, the harder anybody tries to game the system, the worse the content looks. Yeah, always without exception. It, you can tell right away if something has been keyword stuffed because they're writing for Google instead of writing for humans. Now a long time ago, another blogger said. The in bang the inbound link is the holy grail of blogging. Yeah. <laughs> that someone was you and it stuck with me that was you know 13 14 years ago uh, write what you like write what's fun because if you don't it's gonna suck yeah it's gonna look like work it's not, it, it nobody would be gonna read it let alone link to it So when I write, and um, you know some, some are better than others, like anything else. And right. you know, sometimes you try to inject a little humor. Always try to use a casual voice. Uh, this is not a brief you're writing to the court, uh, although my blogging has affected how I write my briefs. Sure has. Um, yeah. It has. I just I have yeah. stripped out a lot of the formality that's wholly unnecessary. And I write. I try to write as if somebody is reading it. On an iPad, on with the beat up, right, and which is not easy if you're if you're writing a brief, but it, it still has to be engaging, and I've even though I'm practicing at it, you know, in the public with the blog, uh, it helps to make you a more engaging writer. The more you write, the better you get at it, right. And if you're, if you're writing stuff that you hate to write because it's boring, you're writing about the local car accident down the street, you don't want to be writing that. You're writing that because you think you're gonna game Google somehow or somebody's gonna find you. you know, it's like the worst thing you can do uh, other than writing about yourself. You know, it's terrible stuff. And it's the stuff that, that you have to, that people have to avoid at all costs. Uh, almost all costs. There there are very, very rare exceptions when you can write about one of your own cases. They exist, but they're, I I think I've probably done them once in in 14 years. When, you know,
0: when I got to the internet, um, 96, 97, started answering people's questions. I was practicing as a plant trial lawyer. And I said, this is the greatest thing in the world for plant trial lawyers. It's a great equalizer. And in fact, is for the good lawyers that don't necessarily have this war chest of money that they can run ads, or TV, radio, yellow pages, um, that lawyers could just be themselves and think about how what they're doing to share information with people in a down-to-earth way like you just described. Well, you know, 20-some years later, I would say lawyers, plaintiff's lawyers are almost the worst on the internet in the way they just, it, you read it, you just... Sometimes I want to recruit more plan lawyers to blog, and other times I go, "No, I don't want any of it because it's it's so few." It, I mean, if I was recruiting plaintiff lawyers all year long, there'd probably be five that I would be proud of at the end of a year. Wait. so imagine you know a lawyer asking you that you know respected you, let's say they're a board member of the State Trial Lawyers Association or a member of board and they said, "You know what? I, I like the way you tone when you speak with people. I've read some of your posts and." You know, I like that, too.
1: What should I do
0: as a planner's trial lawyer when I'm blogging? What, How should I start? What should I be thinking about? What do I write? <clears throat> I find anything they're getting so much misinformation from the yahoos that show up at their conferences to tell them how to do internet marketing.
1: The answer is always you have to find what's interesting to you, because yeah. if you find something that's not interesting, you're not going to keep at it. All right. You're gonna you're gonna say this is boring after two or three months, and you'll be done with it. So you have to if if, if reading the advance sheets and reading about you know like the current state of various cases in your in your in your area of practice are interesting, have at it. You know, right. some people love procedure, and and, and they can find uh, humor, and they can find a lot of interesting things in, in procedure. Uh, some people hate it and they look for, you know, obscure cases or funny cases, you know, like lowering the bar, Kevin Underhills. He's yeah. he's awesome. He's been doing it for God knows how long. And he's still writing. <laughs> it, it's clear that he loves what he, he loves to write this way. Does it bring him any business? Who knows? I don't think he cares. You know, but. Even, you know, sometimes when
0: you say it doesn't bring people business, it brings them notoriety. And I just use that in a good way, not any negative or positive, whatever. People just get to know them for who they are. I mean, I I tell people, I said, you know, if a lawyer was hanging around in a Facebook group that had to deal with their large town or something, they're just being a good person. You know, if somebody asks a question about where to go to get this, nothing to do with law, people will know them. And they may actually, somebody, the word might get around that, that, you know, they're a lawyer too. And somehow that's that's all it is, uh, you know, doing, doing, doing those type of things. Um, um, in in addition to, I mean, I, I also know you from, from, uh, from running because you, although you keep it up, I mean, I ran my last marathon, I think in 99, uh, when I, I ran them, you know, multiple times a year, beginning in the late seventies, uh, you, I mean, you're you're probably still going. I, you know, we don't get to have big ones now because we got the pandemic. But, uh, I'm
1: not. Let's just say that I, I'm not as fast as I used to be. <laughs> <laughs> I'm lucky if I get out there. If i you know, I just please don't be injured.
0: Yeah, that's my guy at the running store. He brought out these pair of hokas, the big things, and I'm going. I don't want shoes like that. He goes, listen, you're you're older, you're slower, <laughs> and you're eating. Right. Thanks a lot. You ain't chasing anybody around it. You ain't
1: chasing anybody down when you're out training. He goes, you just don't want to get hurt. <laughs> you know, it, it's funny, but I, I you know, so I, I've run a bunch of marathons and, you know, God willing, I'll, you know, I'll still be able to do it. And I started up my, I started up a, a local trail race, a half marathon trail race.
0: Right. So I was going to ask you
1: about. Right. And so it's, it's merely, uh, I, I do it as, a, as a, it's a hobby. It's a passion. And you know, I get out there, and we now get maybe—I uh, mean, it was canceled last year—but we've been averaging about 700 runners for a on trail race. Yeah, send people off in five waves, and you know, go racing down the trail. And it's—it's—it it, has a, a colonial theme, and, and because Thomas it starts at the Thomas Pain Cottage, and also Norman Rockwell used to live in this in the same town. So I try to make it as a combination of if Thomas Pain and Norman Rockwell met each other and created a race, what would it look like? And so that's it's my it. But and, and there's nothing corporate about it. As a result of which everybody knows me. Now that wasn't the objective. The objective was just to have these are really cool trails. Let's improve them. The way to improve them is to put on a race and they get more they get used more municipalities come and say, oh look, they're getting used, let's put some money into it. But that whole idea of just getting out there in the community and doing stuff, a lot of people know, know what I do as a result. Not because I sit there and, and bang my horn about it, which I I, I would never do, uh, because then people would run the other way. Uh, but you know, the more people that know you, the more chance there is, know you for the right reason, the more chance it is that business will come your way for the right reason not because you're out there running not because you're out there running ads
0: when did you i mean did you maybe it was because you, you had the exposure you know with your dad and the firm and everything maybe you learned that earlier it took a long time for me to realize that to say just relax do the things you enjoy <clears throat> You know, be yourself, help other people, and the work will come. <laughs> I said that to myself many times, and I said that to my team many times. I used I basically got kicked out of the firm I was at because I was going around telling people that the more people we help, the better off we will be. And so we just have to help people. And I only got about four people to four or five people to believe it. Well, they came with me when I left. Um the rest of the firm was very much cutthroat as to how we're doing to get work and marketing and all that stuff. And I was like, well, you know, I didn't want to tell them that, but maybe you don't want to be married three times. That doesn't impress people in a 50,000 person community. You know, we got three lawyers who've been married three times. It doesn't, doesn't do it. Um, but when did you start to realize that and it really clicked and you said, this is what really life and having being a lawyer and having a business is all about.
1: You know, I, I kind of, Fell into my own practice by accident. I had worked at, um, at my dad's firm for two and a half years after law school. But I took a year off and backpacked around the world. Kevin, you froze. Oh, now you're back. I'm frozen. And when I came back, I said, well, that was a lot of fun. Maybe I'll do that again. I'll, I'll work for six months and then take off six months. But I could not become an associate someplace if I was planning to do that. So I just went out on my own doing, making per diem appearances for people. And I had a wealth of experience. I had in two years, I had taken over a hundred depositions of doctors. I mean, that was solid experience. Yeah. And so I could walk in any place and say, Oh yeah, you want me to handle this conference? You want me to handle this deposition? Sure. They knew who I was. I had built a, I had built a reputation of competence and eventually it turned into a practice practice you know, from doing per diem stuff, and people started giving me trials, and then cases just started coming to me for the right reasons. Right.
0: And see so, I mean, that in the New York moxie of knowing that I can do this, uh, that I have value to, to offer. I mean, it's just common sense to you. Um, I, I I look at it as, I mean, I really do look at somehow the you know people in New York have this, have this common sense understanding about what they're capable of doing. The, uh, the value they can offer to other people and that other people will compensate them for it. But now they might have to go out and let people know that once in a while. They can't sit there all the time. You, you go to networking events, you might go to bar events. Work <laughs> <it> gets
1: around. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I started when I went out on my own. I ordered some uh, business cards and I cut one up and I taped it to a piece of paper and I xeroxed it onto good paper. Now I had letterhead, so I made my first letterhead. And I had a Smith Corona that I typed up reports for. I didn't have my own clients; everything was per diem. Uh, there was certainly no computer uh, for me back then. Uh, and that's it. it; was just going out there and, and you know I'd call up I'd call up law firms that uh, I had uh, that all people they already knew me. Uh, they had seen me in court. They knew what I was capable of. I had tried a couple of cases already by that point. Uh, and it was, it was not a problem for somebody to hand me a file and say, okay, go take care of this. Um, and it just kind of grew organically from that. It was, there was never, a master, it was never a master plan. It was just no, go out there, do a good job. And hopefully business will come. And what's the worst that happens is that I become an associate someplace and it doesn't work out.
0: I mean, Lexblog had. I think I, I copied something off the web, put that onto a, uh, you know, an eight and a half by eleven. That was my letterhead, and uh, <laughs> and and for products, I would I would just key up the title of the product and the seven features that it had, and that would be what I would send people. And uh, uh, when I got real sophisticated, <clears throat> my computer came with this app. Microsoft had these. Uh, maybe it was Apple. Had these preset forms that we're supposed to use, but I didn't know how to use them. So I had to cut out. To, I had to take the pictures of blogs on the internet and, and replace the houses that were in these flyers. And I could only use the amount of text that was there to describe the house, to describe what we offered. And uh, that's what I used. I mean, hell, I I walked the streets of New York but literally. I mean, I would email people and tell them I was coming, and then I would have these things. I probably thought I was doing fine now people would ask questions you know I don't know over at Latham and Watkins they would have been very impressed with that (laughs) but it gets by uh how's the practice going today
1: well certainly things are slow during the pandemic um there are no trials everything's getting all backed up right Uh, and the insurance companies know this yeah and What we really need here in New York is uh, some solid legislation for bad faith um, settlement practices by insurance companies. Uh, So amongst the other things that I do is one of them is lobbying with the New York State Trial Lawyers Association for things just like that. I mean, when somebody steps into your office, you know this, they're coming in and you are, for whatever issue it might be, if you are on the consumer side of the law, personal injury or criminal defense or immigration, you are their last best hope for whatever it is, whatever problem it is that they have. Right. And so you want to go out there and, and battle for it, usually against, you know, whether it's the government or a corporate giants, uh, what have you. And it, it's a perspective that you learn, and then you can hopefully channel that into legislation that's going to help. And in this case, you know, I've got file cabinets here with all my, you know, my clients and the cases are not getting to where they have to be and they won't be for some time. And that's a, that's an issue for the legislature in Albany to take care of. Um,
0: yeah. Cause you can't, if you can't get a trial date, there's no motivation for the insurance company to sell it. And uh, right. so they're going to sit on it and know that it's it's, it's clogging things up for you and your, and your clients. That's no, a shame.
1: The rule, the rule of thumb when I started out was cases, and it was true with medical malpractice cases, uh, cases don't settle until a jury's in the box. And you can have a sponge that was left behind or a clamp that was left behind. It wouldn't even ask you for a number. When the jury's picked, then you go up here in front of the judge and say, okay, you know, judge is going to say, let's talk years down the road. Yeah, it's
0: we we used to talk over dinner my wife and I once the fall hit, what's this how is this year going to wrap up? It was all dependent on how many how many cases were set for trial. Right. <laughs> and if something was coming up in January or February, we realized it was good, it could have been a good year, but probably not. <laughs> it's going to roll it's going to roll into next year.
1: <laughs> when you when you're a small practice, one, you know, all it takes is one case to change whether you had a good year or a crappy one.
0: Yeah, and you—it changes everything. It just makes it changes how you feel. Um, you know, I could sit and talk with you all day. I'm, I'm, I'm drinking a, a beer from the Georgetown Brewery um, in Seattle
1: called Lucille. Uh, I've I, I got a Lagunita, a Lagunita soul, a something, something, and I was not paid for that plug. <laughs> <laughs> was I? But, it, but. Uh...
0: You were pleasant enough to uh, drop me a note. Uh, I think on Twitter. I don't know where. Whatever we exchanged it, he said hey, we should have a beer. I'll run down to the deli and grab one. And I'm thinking,
1: well, I can walk to the refrigerator. <laughs> Listen, you did so many, you did so many beer, you know, beer for bloggers events. I figured it was appropriate. Yeah, I just
0: have no idea how those started. Um, you know, I, I really just don't remember the the. I used to, I mean, before there was Twitter and all that type of stuff, I mean, everybody talked on blogs. So if you wrote something, I might see it, you know, or somebody else may mention what you saw on their blog. And uh, uh, it was like a giant conversation. So I used to get to the airport and I go, I'll buy beers at 7, 5.30 to 7 at this bar. I had no idea what the bar, you know, what the bar was. And people would come and... Uh, it, I want to meet people. You want to meet people. And, you know, and then I'm realizing, well, this is kind of cool because these people live out on Long Island or they live... <laughs> up in Connecticut and they're staying in town to have a beer uh yeah. and yeah uh, I, I explained to you know other companies and other lawyers I said some companies go spend all this money for marketing and advertising I said if all hell breaks loose some night it's gonna cost me 250 dollars <laughs> yeah. and I mean I don't know if you knew it but but uh I mean, people started wanting to get in on it. One night, Thompson Reuters bought all the beer because they wanted to split the notoriety of co-sponsoring Kevin O'Keefe's Lexbox beer for bloggers. And then and they, did they you like it. Did you like that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've given them so much grief over the years. But now they want to pay for the beer. Uh, so it is a, it just goes to show you that what you said before about be yourself, do the things you enjoy, get out and spend time with people. Um, I mean, yours is everything from the law to being involved in, you know, uh, <clears throat> you know putting together a road, you know, a, a trail race, an association, you're doing things for good people. It's, it's pretty good.
1: Um, you're going to have to get your running legs back and come out to New York at the time of the race. <clears throat> here, it, this is
0: all hills. So on a, on, on a day where you don't do anything, you have to go. 350 feet up vertical okay <clears throat> if you're doing anything more than four miles you know four or five it's going to be over 400 feet so all of a sudden you go out and do like a five or six mile it's 600 feet vertical up. you know and <laughs> so the, first, the first it's good for weeks, you the first couple of weeks i'm thinking well this isn't going to work because i can't come up that every day that every day to my house <laughs> and then it 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 comes around. I, I know the people that are looking out the window, going, "Is that guy walking or is he running?" Uh, and, and I probably can't tell the difference. But it's a uh, fine line, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs>
1: Sometimes,
0: yeah. When the person, when you you look at your watch, and the other person goes by, and you're going, "They're really running slow, and I'm doing worse than that." Uh, it's not like the old days, is it? Uh, well, thank, but thank you very much, you know, for for being here. Maybe we'd even do it again. Um, uh, Next week, you know, we're going to do the same, same thing. Bob Ambrosio will be back. We have uh, uh, Jason Gavahan does a privacy and data security uh, blog out of uh, Jackson Lewis. I think it's the same size firm as yours. Uh, and, uh, you know, and again, check out the full series. Uh, you know, and my son, Colin, and the team over on the publishing side has put together, you know, a good library um, of everything. So welcome to the library. Uh, uh, Good to be here, and and cheers, cheers, Kevin. Do, do, Good we, seeing you. do we do we see each other again? Take care in real life. Bye. That's right.